Welcome to the LTC University Podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. Hey, welcome to the LTC University Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston. We have a very interesting guest today and has a very interesting job. She is Alexandra Greenwald. She's the Prevention Coordinator for Keystone Substance Abuse Services, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, tell me what Keystone does. So Keystone is a substance abuse service center. We are the um, agency that provides treatment services, recovery opportunities, and prevention educational materials out there in the community. And Keystone's offering people health, hope, and healing. And we hope to get everybody on that road of recovery and living a, a healthy, successful life. I think people, when they think of drug prevention or alcohol, you know, substance abuse, they just, they see, they have this person in mind. And it's really the, the I think probably the vast majority are people that we see in our everyday life that are struggling with these issues and struggling with this, this abuse. What is a typical person that you guys work with? Like you just said, it is the day-to-day people that we encounter, whether it's our coworkers, family members that we might not know have been battling addiction, or even our best friends. A lot of the times, addiction isn't in your face. You don't always see it. It could be behind closed doors, um, or when people go home from work, you never know what's going on. It is not that typical stereotype of the drug dealer or the user in that dirty alleyway. That's not what it is nowadays. It is modern day anybody can develop an addiction, whether it's predisposition with genetics or it's their choices, their environment, peer pressure. It all plays a role in addiction. And I think too, like you said, people think the dark alleyway, they're buying drugs. A lot of these people have these drugs, just access to them, uh, whether that be through their grandparents, through their parents, or, or maybe it's part of their prescription medication. Absolutely. The accessibility and quantity that it's easily ready and available out there, whether it's alcohol products that are already pre-mixed in a pina colada form, you don't have to go and mix in the rum and all the different products to make that. You see drinks out there that are already pre-packaged and ready to drink, Um, even tobacco products readily available Um, easy access, more potency, and same thing goes with the marijuana and prescription pills and the trends that we're seeing, that accessibility factor, whether it's grandma that's getting it and leaving it around and the grandkids are getting access to it, or it might just be a friend comes into the household and you don't have your products or or medications locked up and they're getting access. I, I know somebody, you know, that's close to me, and they, they've had chronic back issues. They've had, you know, multiple back surgeries. And so they're prescribed lots of Vicodin, you know. Yeah. It's readily available, you know, and, and it provides a – it's an interesting scenario because, first of all, you know, it, it's very addictive. You know, now this person actually got off of them. He was – he's fine now. He's not – he never got – really got addicted to them. He used them, you know, as prescribed – but even the safety of having those in your home, 
you know, when you have a, a little stockpile, if you will, right? you know, people will break into your home and, and to steal that. It, and that's the scary thing. And my message of education that I'm always telling people is get rid of any unused medication. If you're worried you're going to get strep in the future, the flu, and you're trying to keep around those medications, well, you can always get more um at the end of the day, you don't want to have these excessive medications laying around because that's where the accessibility piece comes in, whether it's a friend, family member, or children, grandkids that are getting access to these. So always get rid of unused medications and check your county, where you're from, for Dropbox locations or when you go pick up your medication, nowadays you can ask for an RX disposal bag and it helps rid it right there on the spot and make sure that it's not getting into the hands of the wrong people. And the other thing I always tell people, pay attention to the quantity and follow the guidelines of a prescription. Um, it sounds like you know your, your friend, your buddy was able to safely use the medication prescribed, but not every individual follows the guidelines of one pill a day or two times a day. And that's really going to help prevent that onset of addiction by following the guidelines. Yeah, because everything is just there at your, you know, if you really want it, you can get it. And so talk about, you know, how does somebody really become this normal person that lives a normal life? How, you know, what's a scenario? Give us how they become addicted. So, when I say modern day, what we're seeing a lot of times with our patients and just across the nation is the heavy impact and strain of stress on everyone's life. And mental health plays a huge addiction into individuals that might be predispositioned to depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. And we're seeing from the treatment perspective a lot of um, coexisting mental health conditions and being paired with a substance abuse addiction. And so whether it's these individuals that are living a healthy, normal life and they get that curveball thrown to them and they're not able to be resilient enough to bounce back from it and substances come into the picture, maybe it's due to the stress that they have and the strain at work and they're looking for um, an alternative to help them go to sleep at night because they're not sleeping, and that turns into misusing and abusing Valium or you know any type of sleeping medications, anxiety medications. Um, it really is, though, that, that dual mental health and substance abuse addiction we're seeing come hand in hand now. It might not have been the individual started off with an addiction. It could have been depression from losing a loved one or anxiety that for some reason, choices, people they're hanging around, so friends, their peers, the environment, and family genetics play a huge role. All together, bring those pieces and factors in is really what can influence if somebody goes down the path of addiction. But when I say goes down the path of addiction, you can always turn around, change a new path. It is not a one set path and there's recovery and there's hope scientifically you know how what is what is addiction i mean how does it work and obviously it has to do with our brain so an addiction's a disease and yes it definitely has to do with the brain um, all of our receptors that we have in there the chemicals and endorphins being released serotonin all of these chemicals and 
how I always put it in perspective is if you compare diabetes to a substance abuse addiction, both could have a predisposition. Genetics could play a role into that. Um, but the biggest thing is both are manageable and it comes down to lifestyle choices may have caused the diabetes. Same thing goes with addiction. A lifestyle choice could have led you into addiction. But it is manageable through medications and changing behaviors in your lifestyle choices. And so if you look at the diabetes in correlation and comparing to addiction, when you say somebody just got diagnosed with diabetes, you don't put a death sentence on them. That's not how we see it. But when you say somebody's addicted, a lot of the times in our mind, we're almost seeing that negative stigma or potentially death sentence for those individuals. But that's not the case. It's actually a very manageable disease. And same thing goes with any type of mental health illnesses or disorders. It's all manageable um, through the right help, the right providers, um, for the right medications to help you overcome that. And that's something I talked about today with a lot of providers and understanding that medication-assisted treatment is something that we use on the treatment side to treat people with addiction. You have with diabetes, the pumps, the insulin, um, and all of those methods to help live day-to-day and get through the diabetes, excuse me, the diabetes. With addiction, to help people get through day-to-day and eventually change their behaviors and patterns is what we call medication-assisted treatment. And certain providers around the state and treatment agencies offer these to individuals so that they can sit through months or however long they need treatment services to learn how to change these negative and impactful behaviors, but also overcome the withdrawal effects of addiction. And addiction comes down to people don't want to experience the withdrawal and the need to have something constantly Um, block or use up the receptors in the brain so it's flooding our brain with the happy serotonin and dopamine and they don't want to experience the depletion of these wonderful chemicals our brain produces but with addiction and what we see with um, heavy users they actually are depleting these chemicals and when they have to find the next more potent product to help trigger and release those chemicals, that's where we want to get them to understand that we have medication-assisted treatment and therapy out there that will block the receptors and make you um, get through these withdrawals in a safe and healthy way in correlation with treatment. Would you say there's a difference between a bad habit and addiction? That's a tough one because everybody can say, What a habit is to them might be lesser or stronger. You know, to me, a habit that's a healthy habit is getting exercise, eating right, putting your your whole wellness into perspective. You know, a habit that could be bad that somebody does is not remembering if they took their medication that day. And so, yes, that bad habit could lead into addiction, but... It's not necessarily a habit because addiction changes the way we think. It affects our prefrontal cortex, which controls decision-making. A lot of the impulsivity of thinking through a decision 
to understand do the risk benefits outweigh the risk? Um, what are the consequences? So sometimes when you go through or, or undergoing addiction, these habits might seem very natural to you and it's not something you can just easily break because the brain no longer can naturally think through the decisions that you're doing. And what I mean by that is a loved one stealing money or stealing goods to go sell and make money to buy their substance of choice. You would never want to steal from your family or a loved one. But that's what addiction could do to some because the brain and the chemicals are just not in sync and it's a it's a sad thing but it is changeable and like I said yeah. it's manageable yeah that's amazing that you guys are doing that kind of work and and I think um, the prevention of it too letting people know I remember I remember I grew up in the just say no era yep Nancy um, Reagan yep Nancy Reagan I you know and we've been in this war on drugs for years and we've really been losing <clears throat> and it's almost gotten worse because of that you know. Uh, what's different about how you guys are, uh, you know, working through this now versus how, you know, the war on drugs, you know, we're just trying to arrest everybody, throw everybody in jail, you know, because they haven't stopped. Jamie, that's such a great point that you brought up because it's really about having the conversation, the education out there now where the just don't do it or the dare program back in the day really didn't hit it correctly is they said to people just don't do it well what happens then if these individuals do it you know where do they go for help what are the resources what's a good safety plan there's no talk that that middle meaty information that people needed it was just missing so what we've got nowadays when we talk about prevention and preventing the onset of addiction it comes down to education and getting the information out there it comes down to environmental factors and policies being changed you know if we live in a city that doesn't really enforce retailers to check individuals IDs to make sure they're 21 in order to purchase alcohol then right there we have an environmental issue with kids getting access to alcohol and they potentially abusing it and becoming alcoholics down the road and so there's all these factors that play into prevention nowadays but it comes down to having the conversation saying you know what if you choose to use and it might be you're in the wrong time at the wrong place you're in a party setting or somebody gives you something and you trusted that person, the biggest thing is having a safety plan and knowing where to get help. So when I'm talking to elementary, middle, high school age, and even college age students, I'm not being naive and saying, don't do it, guys. I'm letting them know, well, here's the risk if you choose to do it. And that's your choice now if you decide, after knowing the risk, to go use, misuse, or abuse a substance, but also know that if you find yourself in a situation where you need help, um, have a safety plan in place with a friend, uh, a loved one, a caregiver, meaning a safety plan as simple as an Uber to come get you safely a ride home so you're not drinking and driving. Or another safety plan might be something like um, if you're worried that you might become addicted to an opioid or prescription pill, have a loved one or a caregiver who you trust um, administer it out to you to make sure that you're not going to misuse or abuse the pill. In addition to the safety plan, 
resources. And that's what was just not talked about back in the day is the stigma that we had back in the day around mental health and getting help was huge. The stigma back in the day about going to a treatment service, you're an addict, you're a junkie, was just a big blocker and barrier to people getting help. So nowadays, we are putting that information out there saying, let's celebrate you for walking through our doors and getting the help that you need. Because somebody else out there might be contemplating sitting on their couch or in their home thinking, I need to go in and get help, but I can't, I don't know how. So we're celebrating these successes that we're going to get you on the road to recovery. And even if a treatment center is not right for you, it's so great that our society nowadays has nowadays have other options, whether it's AA, NA. It could be a faith-based um, group. But having a support system and changing behaviors are really going to be the biggest thing to help people, you know, get off of that path of addiction and get into the recovery and that celebration that we want everybody to experience. Yeah. I remember when I was about 19 years old, it's a long time ago, I worked for an electrical company and I was pulling conduit off of a truck. I smashed my thumb, had to go to the, you know, urgent care immediately, you know, went to the emergency room. They, you know, fixed everything, but I was in really bad pain and they prescribed me, I think it was Percocet to take. And I remember how I felt when I took it. I felt amazing. <laughs> you know? um, I literally, I, t- I think I took two or three, um, you know, pers- as prescribed. And then I still had several left. And I, th- and I just made a conscious decision because I don't know what it was. I don't know why I did this, but I threw them away. And I was like, I, I can't take these. Because they make me feel amazing. So I see how easy it can be, you know, and, and not in an illegal way. I mean, it was right. legal for me to take those, you know. Right. We call that what you just experienced, the light bulb. Just that light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, I like that feeling. Or, ooh, didn't expect that. And once that light bulb goes off, if you continue to turn that light bulb on and it turns on more and more and more often maybe three times a day leading to five times a day that is kind of what we call the analogy of the cycle of addiction leading up to that you know when you keep using and the light bulb's going off and you're thinking all right well maybe one more to experience that feeling and I think that's great that you kind of stopped yourself in those tracks knowing you know what this could be a bad thing. Let me get rid of it. And that's a huge thing while we talk about making sure you get rid of these overprescribed medications. That actually plays a huge factor in our opioid epidemic is the overprescribing from doctors and even vets, believe it or not, and making sure nowadays that our doctors are keeping track of individual patients when they last prescribed a prescription pill and making sure that they're not giving more than what's needed. If you think about a wisdom teeth removal, you'll probably get maybe 30 Percocets or hydrocodone afterwards. But the reality of it is wisdom teeth removal, it's painful. 
for the like day or so after. But by the third or fourth day, that's when the individual needs to start to wean themselves off and look at um, other alternatives, whether it be a little bit of a higher strength Advil or something like that. But and, and those options are out there, and it's having the conversations with your doctors and letting them know, you know what, A, maybe addiction runs in my family. I'm not that comfortable um, taking this opioid that you're about to prescribe or maybe a prescription pill. What's an alternative medication um, that you could prescribe? And that's what we want to make sure we're getting out there to our providers and for the patient because mm-hmm. it's a two-way communication yeah. path. Because you're really only a couple decisions away from you know going down a path that you do not want to go down it doesn't take a lot and anybody i think is susceptible to that uh, in making those decisions so to say wow that's never going to be me no i think you have to be careful you have to have your guard up and you have to have people around you that are going to support you and say you know you need to bring it back to left here (laughs) absolutely support is such a huge thing and if you're sitting there listening or you know somebody that is just thinking i don't have that support i don't have a single friend in mind that is why we have all these wonderful recovery groups out there and support systems whether it be um the single moms walking their kids in a stroller in the park that type of group support therapy or it could be an aa group na but having peer that support really helps you know you're not alone. You can get through this. And some people that have gotten through it already are going to be your mentor to guide you. Yeah. So let's talk about some trends. Yeah. Let's get into the exciting stuff here. Right. <laughs> um, you know, what are some of the trends right now that people are, you know, getting into? So we've already touched heavily on prescription pills and opioids and We know that's a huge trending factor, but beyond the opioids and prescription pills that are out there, big trends right now, especially with our youth, are nicotine or electronic nicotine delivery devices, and the big popular one is a Juul. So if I were to say to a kid, do you smoke? Nowadays, kids are going to say, no, I don't smoke. But if I said, do you vape? They would say, oh yeah, I vape but I don't smoke. And so these younger generations are kind of separating what we think is tobacco products and smoking into a whole nother category of what we call vaping or juuling. So a big trend right now would be that juul. And this juul device looks like a, a slim black flash drive that we would charge in our computers or laptop. And it's made to be that way, very discreet. No smoke is gonna come out of it. You don't see any vapor. Um, barely any smell associated to it. So that's that discreet how anybody can kind of put it in a pocket or our kids in classroom settings when the teacher turns their back. And we see this happening quite often. At um, our service provider, we see a lot of the times referrals from these young kids that the SRO, school resource officer, is referring them to us because they were caught jeweling at school. So that's a big trend among our youth right now. And the scary thing is, jeweling is not meant to be in the hands of our kids. It is meant to be in the hands of adults and will and wean these heavy cigarette smokers off of the higher nicotine content down to 20% with the hopes of getting down to 10% and so on and so forth. With kids, when they're smoking a jewel, one jewel 
a pod is what we call the nicotine flavoring that you put into the Juul device. One pod is equivalent to a whole pack of cigarettes. Oh, wow. Yeah, so knowing that and knowing that these kids now are are starting this vaping trend and they're not just starting with one maybe cigarette, they're starting with a vape pen that's equivalent to a whole pack of cigarettes. Wow. So that's a trend among youth. Now as we move, um, you know, not just in the youth, affecting everybody is the big heated and hot topic marijuana cannabis mary jane you name it it's uh all the same thing but when we talk about marijuana it's important to know there's so many different forms nowadays than what it was back in the day and our forms are a lot more potent the strength of the marijuana nowadays is actually four times stronger than what it used to be in the woodstock the hippie days, um, you know, your 70s era, it is four times stronger. And it comes down to the nature of the potency of THC. You can have a typical joint that ranges from anywhere from 10 to 25% THC, or there's edible products. And when I mean by edibles, a cookie, a pot brownie that's infused with the THC psychoactive ingredient, and you're looking at 90% plus THC. So when somebody says, yeah, I use marijuana, nowadays you have to ask, well, what, what type of marijuana? You can't assume they're just smoking a traditional blunt. There's all these different forms. And with the legalization happening, that's where the hot topics come in with medical marijuana versus recreational. And whether you're pro or against it at the end of the day, just making sure you know what's out there. And there's risk involved with anything, um, but there are some benefits too. So it's making sure you do your research and can have those educational conversations. Yeah. You know, we always, you know, when we think drugs, we always think of the heroin addict and that's getting worse. It's an epidemic. I know my hometown, it is horrible. They're seeing people die day after day. Right. So... That kind of ties into the big opioid epidemic that we're in. It's not necessarily just the prescription pills and opioids. It's when you no longer have access to that or the it's just not enough and you're needing the next best thing that gets you a stronger high, maybe more cheaper, and that is where heroin comes into play. And that makes sense. Ohio and Virginia is one of the, the leading states with overdoses with individuals that um, are overdosing because they were using heroin. And heroin can be used in certain forms in different ways, whether it's ingested, injected, or snorted. But the scary thing is, is this opioid epidemic I just shared with you, now not just opioids, now not just prescription pills, and now not just heroin. It is that fentanyl, and it's that carfentanil. So I say it's four big pieces here that are triggering these overdoses across our nation. And when I talk about fentanyl, Fentanyl is about 100 times more potent than morphine. And fentanyl has its purpose. It's usually prescribed for severe pain, maybe post-open heart surgery, um, individuals that are cancer patients going through chemotherapy. There's definitely a purpose to it. Um, Even in our geriatric populations, you see the fentanyl patches a lot with the pain that they're experiencing. But it's when it gets in the hands of the wrong people or you don't even know that that fentanyl, a powder form, could be mixed into that opioid that your friend just gave you. 
And then if you want to look at carfentanil, an analog to fentanyl, we are talking 10,000 times stronger. And carfentanil is actually used as an elephant tranquilizer. So one, one grain of salt, just think of that, one tiny grain of salt is equivalent to an overdose of carfentanil. And not knowing that little grain of salt was mixed into somebody's Xanax, and then that Xanax got pressed in a pill press machine to pop out that bar to look just like a Xanax bar. And nobody knew that little salt grain of carfentanil was in there to cause the overdose. So toxicology reports are coming out now, and we're seeing, you know, what's the real cause of people's overdose? And it's not just the heroin. It was, well, was there fentanyl in their heroin? So great, great point to bring up with that. You know, when a person is at that, you know, point in their addiction, you know, is there still hope? Is there still, you know, what can somebody do? Absolutely, there's still hope. We should never give up hope on anybody. And what that hope looks like is getting the individual help. And everybody um, gets help in, a, in different ways, whether it's through a treatment service center. But what we're seeing successfully implemented right now across the state of South Carolina are treatment providers such as Keystone Substance Abuse Services out of Rock Hill, among many others that are offering a medication and treatment service. So medication-assisted um, treatment, what we call MAT, is offering individuals MAT services in conjunction, so in having to also do therapy to change these behaviors. And that's where hope is instilled. It's instilled in these therapy groups. It's instilled in the loved ones around you providing that support. And so with what MAT can offer individuals, it's a, a safe way to get them to go through the withdrawals, and withdrawals are so severe, extreme body shaking, um, loss in uncontrolled bowel movement, vomiting. It is essentially what you think of the exorcism movie and just a miserable experience one is undergoing. And there's hope. You can get through these withdrawals, whether it's through a safe detox or an MAT, whether that be uh, Suboxone, Buphonorphine. Um, there are other clinics out there that do offer methadone and other things, but it's important to do your research and know what that is. And these medications essentially will block the opioid receptor. So if I am addicted to heroin and I'm under the influence of a medication-assisted treatment or therapy, and I go out and use heroin, I will not feel the effects of that heroin because that buphonorphine might already be using and blocking the opioid receptor. And so it helps people go through that safe withdrawal. But it's so important to know that medication-assisted therapy cannot just be tackled alone. It comes down to getting the resources through treatment services. You have to change your behaviors and learn what's triggering you to use. Who is it? Where is it? And changing all these choices and environmental settings so that you don't go back out and go back down the path of addiction. So that is what hope looks like for us in the treatment world. And the biggest thing to tell people is you're not alone. You might feel alone. You might feel stigmatized. You might have been cut off from your entire family, friends, 
job, the world, but you're not alone. There are so many people, over 179,000 people battling treatment or battling addiction every single day. Wow. How can people get a hold of you if that family member that, or the person that's struggling with addiction, but then also they know a family member that needs this help, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. So choice. Choice is a huge one that we instill in people. You cannot force somebody to do something against their will unless if they're putting themselves or somebody else in harm. So if you've got a loved one um, that you feel like needs to go into treatment services, it starts with having that conversation with them and being that support system of, you know what, I'll take tomorrow off and drive you there if you're willing, if you choose to want to go to treatment services. Um, most of the time it comes down to a choice. Now, being put there against your will, whether it's a DSS related case or drug related cases um, that's a different scenario but what we see is you have to be a, a family member that if you think that individual is harming themselves or somebody else then that is where you can kind of override that choice that I say and get them into a treatment service to help them get on the right path quickly and not hurt anyone else around them so what that looks like It literally looks like standing up on your two feet and whether you have to walk to a nearby treatment facility, that AA group that meets maybe in the library or down the road, whatever it takes, it just takes you moving your body to get there. And that seems a lot more easier said than done, but it is possible and it is even more possible when you have that support or that loved one to say, I'm going to be right here with you every step of the way. Yeah, that's amazing. So how can they find you guys specifically, Keystone? Sure. So Keystone Substance Abuse Services is located in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We are in York County. We kind of neighbor the North Carolina borderline there with Mecklenburg. So we get a lot of the influx of Charlotte um, individuals into Rock Hill. But where Keystone's located, we actually have three facilities The first facility is where I work at, the prevention building. It's lovely. We have a lot of fun, and we're out there educating constantly every sector in the community to let them know what's out there and how to get help to resources. Our other buildings are treatment services. We actually have a detox um, with 14 beds. We have inpatient, outpatient services, and each group that we can offer depending on what that individual's need is is very tailored to their need so we actually just started due to the nature of the opioid epidemic we had to start a medication assisted uh, treatment services we actually have doctors on site and it looks like a, a wonderful clean doctor's office you come into and they're able to assess you and see if you fit the role um, for medication assisted therapy And then we have groups that are very specific to those that are heroin opioid users because at the end of the day, we have to tailor our services to each audience. So it's it's wonderful that we are changing ourselves with the nature of, you know, what's happening nationally and across the world with substances that are trending. And we have one other building, and that's our youth facility, a brand new building, and it's tailored to those individuals 18 years and younger to get the services and kind of keep the youth and adults separated. 
and anybody can walk in at any time. Um, we do have certain assessment times, and you can find us at Keystone Substance Abuse Services online to look for those assessment times. An assessment is essentially a question and answer, and it's free. And that is the kicker right there. A lot of people think the second you walk through the door at any uh, treatment services, whether it's Keystone or anywhere across the state, you're going to have a fee or a huge uh, budget behind you. Well, that's not the case. We serve regardless of pay. We serve regardless of insurance. Um, that is the beauty of grants and the beauty of um, state and federal allocations to help these individuals find and get that hope to recovery. That's amazing. That is that is really encouraging. You know, you know that you guys are doing that. You can find them at www.keystoneyork.org to get more information. And uh, if you need help, get the help today. Don't wait. They're going to be there to support you. So thank you so much, Alexandra. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. And thank you so much for this incredible information. And uh, thanks for what you're doing. Uh, We really appreciate people that are changing their communities and you guys are changing your community. Thank you so much for having us. And remember, there's help, there's hope, and there's healing. Thanks. Just a couple of announcements. Every single month, on the first Monday of the month, we have an event called the Community Leadership Assembly. You are invited, especially if you're an assisted living administrator or skilled facility administrator and a social worker. You can earn up to three CEU credits at this event. You'll hear from a couple different speakers, and we're going to provide lunch for only $10. You don't want to miss it, so make sure you come to 1626 on Main in Columbia, South Carolina. You won't regret it. Also, if you'd be so kind to write a review for the LTC University podcast, give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. We'd love for you to check us out on social media. You can go find us at LTC University on Facebook and at LTC University on Instagram and Twitter as well. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to learn together. Have a great day.